There's a song called One Thing Remains by the group Jesus Culture. The chorus talks about God's love. It says, your love never gives up, never runs out on me. That part of the song resonated with me when I thought about the passage in John 21. On this episode of Groundwork, we'll talk about how God displays this love to the disciples and specifically Peter, and how we are all deeply encouraged by this loving God who resurrected from the dead. Stay tuned. Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in the final part of our four-part series, talking about the post-resurrection events that happened right after Jesus rose from the dead. And in the first episode, we talked about the Mary's witness and the other women who went back and told the disciples that Jesus was alive and they didn't believe it, even right. though Peter had a chance to go see. And in the second episode, we talked about the road to Emmaus and the disciples who encountered undercover Jesus and didn't recognize him until he broke bread and gave thanks. And then in the previous episode, we looked at the end part of John 20, which is the chapter of the resurrection. And we thought about doubting Thomas and the, the things that happened involving Thomas and so forth. And that then leads to this final episode of this series and the final chapter in John's gospel, which is interesting, Daryl, because at the very end of John 20, at a verse we looked at in the previous episode, it looked like John was done. Jesus did many other things I didn't write about, but what I did write is designed to help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Boom. And it looks like the curtain comes down on John, right. but wait, one more chapter, John 21. There are specific parts in this chapter where you know, you see the disciples who catch a load of fish. We see Peter being reinstated, and we saw how we're all called to follow the Lord's disciples. And we'll break that down in these segments like that. And so let's look at chapter 21, beginning with the first set of verses. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. <laughs> so, Scott, first, can you imagine the frame of mind that they are in at this point? I mean, they had these discouraging moments, of course, because Jesus had died. But then they had seen him. The scripture says specifically they, this is the third time they had seen him. So they had seen him before. I think it's kind of interesting that they go back to fishing 
even after they have already seen that he's alive. But the frame of mind that they're in when they go back to this is really interesting to me because they could be all over the place. They could be happy. They could be sad. They could be excited. They had all that happen in a short span of days. It's an odd scene in a lot of ways, Daryl. I mean, for one thing, they've seen Jesus twice and they still don't seem to know what to do. They'd even had the Holy Spirit breathed on them, we saw in the previous episode in John 20, and yet they don't seem to know what to do. They look bored. We're even missing a couple disciples, right? There's a few of them that John names, and there are two he doesn't name, but that doesn't quite add up to 11 yet. So we don't know. And then there's the other thing. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Why is he on a beach cooking fish? I mean, doesn't he have anything better to do as the resurrected Lord? You would think so. So it's a funny scene when you think about it, that Jesus is here of all places, and the disciples are here uh, looking bored, so they go back to what they knew, fishing, and they did what they did before. They were lousy fishermen. I mean, they're lucky Jesus called them to a different life because they can never catch anything. It's sort of a, a curious scene. And so in this situation, you see, it says that they did not recognize it was Jesus. So we got undercover Jesus again. He's on the shore. And this passage is kind of an echo, because if you think about what happened in Luke chapter five, this is how Jesus recruited Peter. He says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And he does that. And he has so many fish. He needs another boat to come over and help him. They're nearly sinking. And he realizes that, oh, away from me, I'm a sinful man. If he can see in the deep part of the sea, he pretty much can see in my heart. And so it's interesting how the scripture brings this back in John 21, where Jesus says, put your net on the other side so that he could see again that this is the same kind of thing. And it's really crazy that even though Jesus is telling him this, it's a a reminder of what he's already done. Exactly. We'll see um, in the next segment of this program, too. A lot of this is sort of back to the beginning. Uh, So they started out as fishermen. They started out with a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus, I'm going to make you fisher of people, but they aren't there yet. They're still Mm -hmm. fishing for fish and so forth. Uh, So it's all very curious. Also curious that, I don't know, if I was on a a beach somewhere, uh, Daryl, and the resurrected Jesus was sitting right there, I think I'd want to go talk to him, but obviously at least one of the disciples counted all the fish first. Uh, 153 fish. Who does that? Well, fishermen do that. They always want to brag about how many they caught. So they get 153 fish, endless PhD dissertations on what that number means, by the way, but I think it just means they caught 153 fish. <laughs> Jesus already had some fish and biscuits cooking, but he gets some of theirs. But indeed, Joe, this is beautiful that maybe the disciples aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, maybe they haven't quite put all the pieces together yet, but Jesus kind of meets them where they are. He kind of figures they're going to go back to fishing because they still don't quite know what it will be to be an apostle. They're disciples, but they're not apostles yet, the sent ones. So it's lovely that Jesus um, meets them where they are. And it's also interesting that he's always willing and ready to fellowship with them. Uh, This is another instance like the road to Emmaus where he breaks bread with them. And no matter where they are in their walk with God, Jesus always seems to find a way to get into their world and encounter them where they are. And I love that because he does that with me. He does that with you. If you ever been discouraged, he says, come to the table. If you ever been afraid, he says, come to the table. If you're hurt, confused, that's when you come to the table. Jesus is willing and waiting to fellowship with us at any time, no matter what we're going through, if it's good or bad, he wants us to come. So I love the fact that he's always ready to receive us with open arms. Yeah, and I have a sermon on this first part of the chapter. There's more to come, of course. But I love the fact that the very last thing Jesus says in this part of the story is, come and have breakfast, you know. Hey, guys, let's eat. 
And why do is that significant? Because it's so ordinary. Mm-hmm. It's just breakfast. That's all it is. It's breakfast, and Jesus is there. And for us, too, it's just breakfast. It's just taking a walk. It's just visiting somebody in the hospital. It's ordinary stuff, but Jesus is there in the ordinary, and that's a beautiful thing. But Jesus does have a few more things to say specifically to Peter, and we'll look at that in just a moment. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, let's go right back to John chapter 21 and pick up the action to verse 15, where we read, so that Jesus had just said, come and have breakfast, so they do. So now verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. For very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Man, Scott, this is powerful. I was thinking about how, you know, there's a context for this passage. Peter is the outspoken one. Mm. Peter is the one that says what everyone else is thinking. He's the rock, man. (laughs) He says it. He gets it right out there. He's the first to jump in head first. And so he said to Jesus before the crucifixion. Mm. I don't care if all these other guys that forsake you, I'm going to be with you to the end. And Jesus says, oh, really? No, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter was adamant against that. And so then he ends up denying Jesus and it's probably the lowest moment of his life. And this is really powerful that Jesus will come back and reestate him for every time he denied him, every time he asked him if he loves him. Yeah, there's, there's not much question that uh, the threefold denial is met by this threefold uh, restoration. There's something interesting going on in the Greek here, though, Daryl. Oh, it's really powerful. So for Greek, they have three different words for love. Eros is like this passionate love and spouses have for each other. Like think Song of Solomon, that kind of love, right? And then they have phileo, which is the brotherly, sisterly, sibling love, friendship love, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly mm-hmm. love. And then they have agape, which is the God love, the unconditional uh, forgiving, sacrificial love, unconditional love, right? So then in the Greek, this passage is, becomes alive because Peter's asked, do you love me by Jesus? And Jesus is saying, do you agape love me? And Peter is saying, well, I messed that up. <laughs> I tried that. And now I, all I have to offer is phileo love to you. So the first two times... Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. And then the third one, Jesus changes it. And he says, do you phileo me? And meet Peter right where he is. Though it made Peter sad, we're told, that it kind of looks like Jesus kind of 
came down to his level. But Jesus still says, you got to feed my sheep. You know, I'll meet you where you are. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to glorify me in your death. I want to meet you where you are. Interestingly, Daryl, the Bible commentator Frederick Dale Bruner is a friend of mine and a colleague of mine. He and I agree on almost everything except this. He doesn't think, and a lot of Greek scholars think, that there's nothing to this alteration of agape with phileo. Uh, and my colleague, Gary Burge, uh, who's on the faculty of Calvin mm-hmm. Seminary, formerly at Wheaton for a long time, he don't think there's anything this to, to this either because they say there's some evidence that agape was overcoming phileo as the standard Greek word for love. So there's nothing to this. I don't buy it because it's so obvious that, that there's this alteration going on here. And why else would Peter be sad? the third time when Jesus switches. So I think John is signaling something here. All due respect to my colleagues who are smarter than me and know more than me, but I still think uh, there's something to this that Peter can't quite dare bet the farm again because he messed up so badly before. But the great thing is, Daryl, every time Jesus still gives him something to do. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Where you are, what you've got now is enough, and I'll grow the rest in you as time goes on. It also happened in Matthew where Jesus says, hey, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. And he says, but when you get back, strengthen Mm. your brother. So even though this sifting process is actually part of Peter's trial of faithfulness, Jesus already has an assignment for him afterwards. And even with this, you see that Jesus is predicting how the kind of death that Peter will have. So he's already past the denials. He's already past the forsaking parts. He's already talking about this is how you're going to live for me. This is how you're going to die for me. And I love a God who is willing to condescend to our level and say, you don't have all of that. That's fine. What do you have? Let's work with that. Let's start where, where you are. Right. And, um, you know, I mentioned that there, the scene on the beach is so unusual. Why is Jesus there and so forth? Uh, and there's some comic parts of this story, I think, too. So Peter had, you know, uh, taken off a good bit of his clothing because it's, you know, hard work to do fishing and sweaty work. Uh, but when John identifies Jesus on the shore, Peter swims ashore. He's so eager, but first he got dressed again. It's like, Peter, you don't put your clothes on and then jump in the water. Most people do it the other way around. And uh, but he was so he was so excited that he wasn't even thinking straight. So he got dressed, then jump in the water. So in this scene, I, I think it's kind of funny that I'm just picturing Peter sitting there in this soggy robe, you know, in these soggy clothes that are still plop plopping into the sand because he did that foolish thing in his enthusiasm. That just sort of adds to the preciousness of the scene, I think. Just ordinary Peter who does foolish things. Jesus renamed him from Simon to Petros the rock, and yet the rock crumbled, turned out to have feet of clay at the end. And yet there's all this love that Jesus is beaming into Peter here. You are restored. You got work to do. Maybe you don't feel like you're the strongest disciple anymore, but you're going to be by my power at work in you. Yes. And and Jesus also hinted, like I said earlier, of how Peter would become a martyr for him. And mm-hmm. so Peter, you know, he would have a purpose serving the Lord after the moments of what he felt like were failures. And I'm so glad that we serve a God that continues to work with us even after our mistakes and failures, that he is in the long game. He is in the perseverance. He's in the preservation of his saints. He's into sanctification that comes progressively. And that even though we're not all there yet, we are on our way and God is there helping us because he knows how Peter's going to turn out. Peter also knows, and he learned a lesson that mm. to demonstrate faith 
faithfulness, it doesn't need to come from his own strength, exactly. his own will. Exactly. It needs to come from God's power to sustain him. And I think that's the power he took in the Pentecost with him. When 3,000 came to be in the church, that came from the power of God through him and not his own ability. Right. If it was up to Peter only and his own uh, motivation, if it was up to Scott Jose only and Scott's own motivation, we don't go anywhere. Uh, we fail like Peter did. But when God is at work in us, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes out, we don't, we're not quite sure when this incident took place, uh, how many days it is till Pentecost yet. But within a couple of weeks, let's say, probably, it's going to be Pentecost. Ten days after Jesus ascends back to the Father, Pentecost comes, and Peter preaches such a powerful sermon. Peter, 3,000 people come to the faith. I don't know about you, but my preaching doesn't usually work quite that well. But for Peter, 3,000 people in a day, because of Peter, of all people, that's amazing. It is, Scott. And coming up next, we want to talk about how we are to live as disciples in the light of the resurrection for our Savior as we wrap up this series. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, we're now coming to the very, very end of John chapter 21. We've seen the breakfast on the beach and the miraculous catch of fish. We just saw the kind of looks like a one-on-one encounter uh, with Jesus and Peter, uh, where Jesus restores Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times, so three times Jesus restores Peter and says, you got work to do. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And now we're coming to the very, very end of it. So at the end of many of these episodes, Scott, you know this, that we come to this so what moment where we're kind of tying these into our everyday lives, what we learn. So let's think about this as we finish the chapter with the rest of these verses and find some practical applications in light of this. So let's look at John 21, beginning at verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So there it is. Interesting passage. Uh, Verse 23 says a rumor spread that John would not die, but Jesus didn't say that. Interestingly, Frederick Dale Bruner, I mentioned him in the previous segment, has written a great commentary on the book of John. uh, And he notes that throughout a lot of John, there's this – so the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, most people think that is John, uh, the person writing this gospel. That's kind of his signature. He doesn't ever directly say, hey, that's me. Uh, But 
pretty sure. But throughout the gospel, there's this subtle little competition between Peter and John. And it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, I think, for John to write about it because he loved Peter and Peter loved him. Uh, But even in the previous chapter, they have this foot race to the tomb, but John makes sure to say that, I got there first. (laughs) I I beat him. I got there first. And now Jesus has just restored Peter. Peter sees John trailing behind them. What about him? And it's like, Peter, what are you thinking? You know, (laughs) you've got one duty, and it was just spoken to Jesus to you. You follow me. Don't worry about him. You follow me. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes we can get caught up in what other people are doing or not doing in their walk with Christ. And I believe that even though this is an individualistic faith, Scott, I still think that we need to mind our own business mm-hmm. and actually obey the call that has been given to us as disciples. And I think Peter was told that, yeah, you need to focus. Focus on what I've told you. You follow me. I'll deal with whether, whether he lives or not. I want you to do what I've called you to do. And let us be clear about our walk with Jesus and follow him as well. Another thing, Scott, is that the message that we have is one of a resurrected Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out how we can get that word out and share it with a world that has very little hope at this time. I think that's really what we need to be focused on. The main thing has to stay the main thing. And that's the message of Jesus raised from the dead, uh, who is our very hope. You know, you had mentioned earlier in the program, Daryl, that the fact that in, in the first part of John 21, that they're fishing and they catch a lot of fish, that flashes back to when Jesus first called them. But twice in this chapter, uh, we flash back also to the first thing Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. But when he was still known as Simon, he hadn't been renamed Peter the Rock yet, right? Rocky. Uh, follow me. And so as it was in the beginning, so is now and ever shall be, follow me. That is the main message uh, that that we have to get. And if you follow me, then you know the story um, you need to tell. Uh, And as you just said, Daryl, in this world, uh, which um, certainly in recent years uh, and right up to this moment is so filled with war and rumors of war and a pandemic and partisan tensions in the United States, but also abroad uh, that are tearing people apart, Uh, We need Jesus and his resurrection more than ever. Uh, We got a message to tell, and the main thing is the main thing, and that is to tell people that. And, Daryl, I think it's significant. We do it together. And that's the third thing, Scott. When you see the women who went to the tomb, they went together, Mm -hmm. and they went back to tell the disciples together that Jesus is alive. In the book of Acts, you see the disciples working together Mm -hmm. to share the gospel with the known world at the time. And I think we're all called to a communal faith. Now, we need to be the body of Christ together because you might be strong at something that I'm weak at and vice versa. We actually can help each other. And I believe that if we can do that, then the fulfillment of John 17, where Jesus prayed that all would know who he is through the unity that he calls us to. If we live in that unity, if we practice that unity by forgiving one another, by giving grace and mercy to one another, I believe that the world will begin to know that that testimony is true. We are not called to be spiritual lone rangers, right? We're not That's supposed right. to be celebrity preachers or, you know, big guns in the church. The end of the, We cannot do this without each other, without the body of Christ, Paul's beautiful image from Corinthians, you know, that the whole body has to work together just like our physical bodies do. If you want to bend down and scratch your knee, do you know how much has to happen in your body for you to make that simple movement? 
Right. A whole lot of stuff has to work together. If the church is going to be the church, if we're going to witness to Jesus, if we're going to, again, follow me, uh, follow Jesus, then we need each other uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to get that done. And I think that's an important lesson here, too. And once again, similar to the end of John 20, John 21 concludes by saying, now, again, Jesus did a lot that I haven't written down. And then he has this great exaggeration. You know, if you did write down everything Jesus did, the world couldn't hold the books. There would be no room for all the books. Well, I think actually, if you wrote down everything Jesus said and did, there would there'd be room. But what John is saying is Jesus is bigger yes. than the whole world. The gospel message is bigger than the whole world because it is the whole world and the whole universe that Jesus saves. So we follow this risen savior. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney, and our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.